Welcome to the show. Yeah, today we are talking to Mr. Aaron Pachetz. The big beefcake himself. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard the word beefcake since 1985, I think. <laughs> it brings back memories of, uh, of, of Cartman from South Park for me. <laughs> what have you been up to there, Aaron? What's going on with you these days? Oh, you know what? Things have just been crazy the last... Uh, several months that's for sure um i finally got to go on a vacation which i haven't done in quite a while i went to costa rica for a couple weeks went to a wedding and then hung out for an extra week Uh, but besides that it's you know it's all work very little play which is is good but work in this sense over the last especially this last well, 10 days or so. Um, I've been kind of hopscotching all over the country doing fundraising events and uh, helping to try and raise money for different causes all across the country, which is uh, fun to do. I love to be able to lend my name and any what little talent I have to uh, to try and raise <laughs> some money for different uh, different charities. So what, what charities are you after? Well, I've been doing uh, a lot of stuff with the Mental Health Association, obviously, as well as um, Heart and Stroke was another one that I did and then i'm a part of the vancouver canuck alumni hockey team like i've actually got my card and they you know my number is my number that i get for the rest of my uh, time with the alumni that we actually go play games but they're always uh charity events that are raising money and uh we went up to smithers bc recently and um <clears throat> usually it's uh, it's helping out local charities in each town that we go to but we also have the uh, canuck alumni uh, association membership as well and that goes out to places like Canuck Place and and uh, Ronald McDonald House and things like that. So uh, it's a number of different charities, and I just love being a part of it and, and helping out and seeing the faces on the people that it helps is just unbelievable. What uh, made you get involved with the whole fundraising uh, aspect of your career? Well, it came to a point where, <clears throat> excuse me, I was asked many times to come out and be a, a you know do a special appearance or maybe a little performance, um, and you know my my career itself was so busy being booked at different shows and festivals and towns and fairs and whatever um that i wasn't doing a lot of uh, a lot of these charity events and i'm going hey you know i got a lot of time in between these shows and i'm still quite busy um last year was my busiest professional year ever in my entire career um but there's still a lot of time in between where i can help out and i and i'm learning that my my name or you know me as a person the personality and, and the artist can help raise money so that's really what it's uh what it's all about and what i tend to do is um i've i've basically put up for auction live auction um like an in-house performance kind of thing where i come to your place and bring my guitar and sit around and play a bunch of songs and tell the stories and uh man those things have raised so much money you know i people have paid up to 25 grand uh just to do that and and all the money goes to charity i don't take any of that um so that's i'm just uh, you know wanting to help out as much as possible and realizing that my uh my uh, my name i guess and the the uh, career that i've created can help out people and um and in different situations you're a good egg aaron prochette <laughs> trying it all i can do is try <laughs> okay so let's talk about your very first start because here on the show we like yeah. to uh get the the history and uh, you know the start of uh, the people that we talk to and you actually mm-hmm. started as a dj at Rooster's Country Cabaret Bar in BC, right? 
Well, that's that's a part of the story, but it goes deeper than that. That's for sure, because I started at Roosters in 1996, the day that we opened. Um, I was a part of the, the team that really helped build um, – you know, we had really great staff and we had uh, an awesome manager who knew what he was doing. Uh, but honestly, uh, back in 1993, I entered a talent. Show. Okay, let's even skip ahead before that, how I got to singing. So when I, in 1991, um, my mom dragged me out to uh, a karaoke. The karaoke was brand new. So my sister wanted to sing and my mom dragged me out because my sister was the singer. And so we went out to this thing called karaoke. I'm like, well, I don't even know what this is, but okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so you sing along to words on a TV screen. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I don't sing, but whatever. And <clears throat> my mom basically convinced me to go up and sing and I didn't want to, but I did. And I go up and sing probably the toughest song that anybody could ever sing for the first time in their entire life. And it's a song called waiting for a girl like you from uh, foreigner. You know, it's like, I've been waiting. like as yeah, high as you yeah, can yeah. get in your register. Here's me singing for the first time outside of a shower and in front of anybody. And uh, anyway, the guy that was running the karaoke, he was hosting it. He came up to me and, and was like, Hey, uh, do you want to work for me <laughs> like, <laughs> doing what? Like uh, helping you carry your equipment to your car, you know, when the show's over. And uh, he said, no, I want you to actually come and do these shows. I want you to be the host of this stuff. So I did. I, I ended up doing that much to the chagrin of my sister <laughs> who was hoping to be discovered. And here I'm the guy that doesn't sing. And, and uh, he asked me to work for him anyways. That uh, sort of snowballed into um, running my own karaoke. And then eventually I was doing some DJing at a couple different clubs just for fun and uh, entered a talent search in 1993 again because of my mother who said, I paid the 20 bucks. you got to pick two songs and sing them with the band. So I did. And I went through, uh, I ended up winning uh, the entire British Columbia leg of it and um, never sang with a band till that point either. And then, uh, I went to the Canadian finals in Hamilton and, uh, I didn't do anything there. I was terrible, but, uh, I met a guy named Paul Brandt, who's the Alberta representative and I was the BC representative and we became friends and I always watched Paul's career and, and kind of strive to be doing what Paul was doing. And, uh, and then I started playing clubs for about 10 years and another talent search came along and 2001 called project discovery which was a ccma sponsored uh socan factor everybody was involved um and i won that and from there got to uh, record a single shoot a video and instead of taking the 10 grand and and uh taking it to vegas and putting it all on black <laughs> i decided to put it all on a different sort of gamble and uh, recorded more songs and before I knew it the the ball was rolling and everything just started sort of moving and my career took shape and that's where consider this came from yes see you know your stuff exactly uh, I wrote that song with a guy named Rick Tippy who you might remember from back in the uh, late 90s um, and Rick and I uh, had written this song um, called consider this I actually was on the way to his house driving my car and uh, I heard this uh, just it was a radio ad and uh, it said, you know, consider this, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I thought, that's a cool title for a song. We wrote the song that day. And then uh, after I'd won the talent search, I, I demanded that we do this song. <laughs> um, and sure enough, uh, Tom McKillop was the producer on it. He's like, that's a great song. Let's record it. And it became uh, my first single with my first video. 
So is that how, you know, you get the titles to your songs, by the way? Yeah, I mean, consider this kind of landed in your lap. But is that how it happens for you most of the time? Whereas you hear something and you're like, ah, that'd be a good song title. Yeah, you know, it, it always just sort of comes to me or if I'm sitting in a songwriting session with other guys or women, men, doesn't matter. Um, we always come to the table with a title or a hook line, we call it. And uh, the hook lines will come to me just randomly. Like, for example, I was in Nashville doing a songwriting uh, trip for two weeks one time. And um, I was in the shower. (laughs) And from out of nowhere, uh, this sort of hook came to me from literally out of the blue. I was just in the shower singing random things. And uh, I was really inspired by Nashville, obviously, too. But um, this thing came to me that... uh, uh, it was. It ended up being a song that we wrote that day, and uh, uh, it was called "You're Not Gonna Miss Me When I'm Gone." And it just turned into one of those things where I'm like, I love the process of that. I was just randomly thinking this morning, and then later that day, we've got this song record or, uh, written, and then we recorded it and never released it. But it was still one of those songs that I was really proud of. So it just happens, yeah, from out of the blue. So then, tell us what happened after you know the the success with "Consider This," and um, you know how that kind of catapulted you into Canadian country music. Well, I, I would say the one major thing that happened along the way with recording all those songs that we did uh, with, along with Consider This, um, the one song that changed my career direction at that time was a song called My Way. And with My Way, I didn't write the song. I got it from a demo, and I was like, this song is really cool. And there's kind of a weird story uh, behind it, because um, when we went into the studio, we had a list of 10 songs that we were going to record uh, and then cut that down if we had to. But along the way, sometimes um, you get notified by a publisher if you didn't write the song. You get notified by a publisher that somebody else has recorded the song and that you have to either stop recording it or take it off your list. So I had two songs that did that. Um, And I have an, an alternate list of five songs that just in case this happens, I can choose one of the alternate five. And on the bottom of that list was my way out of the five songs. And we were going to go from the top down if, you know, um, if we needed to anyway, uh, third day in the studio after recording three songs a day, third day in the studio, Tom McKillop and I look at each other and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, we recorded my way on the first day. Why did we do that? And he goes, I don't know. I have no idea why we did that. That wasn't even on the main list. And I said, it's the, it's at the bottom of the alternate list. Why why did we do that? He goes, I have no clue. That's really weird. Like we were, we went through the process of recording it and everything. It was like we we were you know made oblivious to what we were doing, and then realized it three days later. Anyways, this song comes to fruition. We released it as a single. Uh, it's a song that uh, that two Canadians wrote. Um, uh, well, yeah, just two. It was Tim Taylor and Derek Rattan. And because of that song, um, I got to connect with Derek Rattan, and he and I started writing down in Nashville. And because of that songwriting with Derek, from this, you know, this original session that I did at the studio in Vancouver, um, we ended up writing all these major hit songs. And the one that is obviously my legacy forever, you know, I could have 10 number ones from here on in and nobody's <laughs> going to really care about them that much five years down the road. They just want to hear the one song, Hold My Beer. Right. <laughs>
You know, I got to tell you, playing that song with you at the uh, the CCMA Fan Fest <laughs> is still one of my favorite moments of my career. Uh, hanging out with you and Michelle Wright was to our right, and uh, yeah, who else was on that gig? It was uh, it was Charlie Major and Jason Blaine. Uh, and Jason, yeah, yeah, and Charlie Major, and man, and and uh, then Michelle broke into uh, Take It Like a Man, and we were singing harmonies, and Blainer was playing playing leads. It's still one of my favorite moments. So so thanks for that, dude. Right on. Yeah, you know. That song, first of all, Michelle Wright just keeps getting better with age, as far as I'm concerned. She sure that does. woman just, she's timeless. But with Hold My Beard, the funny thing was, I, we wrote it and I'm like, this thing's a joke. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, I love the song, but it's hilarious. There's no way we're going to record this song. We recorded it and it's like, there's no way we're going to release it to radio. Nobody's going to want to hear this stupid song. And sure enough, it turns into what it's turned into. And but it's a vibe, and people are like, "Are you getting sick of playing Hold My Beer?" It's it's fourteen years, fifteen years old now. And uh, I'm going, no, it's like a new song. Like ask David Lee Murphy if he if he hates playing uh, Dust in the Bottle. Right. There's no way. There's yeah. no way he hates playing that because it's just one of those songs that's got the energy to it. The crowd's waiting for it. They're dying to hear it. And uh, and it's one of those songs that's kind of like that. You know, it's kind of like a dust in the bottle where it just keeps getting airplay on radio stations all over the country. And uh, and people still they still relate to it, which is great. And that fan reaction almost makes it new every time, too, doesn't it? You're right. That's exactly it. It, it really is. Like, I can't wait to play that song always because the fans are always just expecting it, anticipating it. And there's so much energy. And, um, you know, I've heard hundreds of times over and over the crowd just going oh my bear oh my bear <laughs> although after doing the first song or two of the set of a 90 minute set and they're going oh my bear it's like man I, it's a little too soon <laughs> <laughs> you've seen a lot of red solo cups lifted to that song it's a little bit of a country music anthem at this point but i want to know what is the uh the craziest thing that you have seen while you've been performing that song <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so i mean lots of lots of funny things have happened for sure there's a few i can't mention right now but uh <laughs> no there's there's one thing that really that will never leave my mind so we're playing my birthday in 2010 uh in tweed ontario near uh, uh belleville so at first we thought there's nobody coming to this thing and we're out in the middle of nowhere and sure enough we had 1500 you know almost 2000 people 20 minutes before the show which was amazing so it just made the vibe that much better so then we're playing along and probably halfway through the set up comes a bra a bra gets thrown on stage <laughs> we're like oh cool that was fun <laughs> yeah it's not every show you get that and we're doing hold my beer and then before you know it, I'm not kidding. There was probably about 35 to 40 bras thrown on stage. <laughs> and what I'm doing is I'm taking every bra that's being thrown on stage and putting it on the guitar stand of uh, John Ellis, who was playing his very first gig with me ever. Beautiful. And he's from Vancouver, and he's a really great guitar player, slide guitar and steel player. Anyway, so I'm putting it on his uh, his mic stand. <laughs> And as they're growing, like there's literally, you know, piling, they're piling high and I'm having to put them over top. The mic stand finally falls and you hear the, no. you know, the big crash. <laughs> yeah, John's laughing. He's laughing so hard. He thinks it's the funniest thing. But that wasn't the, the weird thing. The weird thing was at one point, all these bras are being thrown on stage and then a pair of men's pants jeans get thrown on stage i'm like what who who out there is doing this and within about two minutes 
up come the boxers. <laughs> so the boxer shorts, I'm not touching those. I'm not putting them on John's stand. I'm like, no, I'm not touching that at all. That's 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 enough. But it turned out to be one of the most fun nights. And it was, you know, during Hold My Beer. So everybody's just, there's a frenzy there, right? They're just having a blast. And, and then uh, uh, I guess the other weird part of it is that at the end of the show, um, one of my guitar players was cleaning up his, his stuff on stage. And a woman comes up and she says... Uh, uh, can I have my bra back? And, and and I think that one, and I think that one over there is my daughter's. Can you grab that for me too? <laughs> I was like, no way. Only in tweed, man. Forget rock Only and roll, tweed. country music's where it's at, apparently. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I felt like Tom Jones. <laughs> so I gotta ask, Aaron. In addition to the high energy uh, anthem stuff, you've got a, a real softer side as well. And I want to talk about the song "Warm Safe Place" for a second because I. I just feel like uh, of of your your list of singles, uh, that's definitely among the top for me. Um, Thanks. Where did that song come from, and and what was the selection process like in that one? Well, that was uh, a song written by some writers in Nashville, and I'd sat on that for maybe two years before I recorded it. And it was uh, it was kind of one of those moments where you're like, I need something good in here, and then the the song sort of came back to me. It was like, man we should record this song took it to my producer and he said yeah this is a this is a great song it'll really fill out the album and make it you know a lot more cohesive and and people will like that softer side of you so we recorded it and i really love the recording but the fun thing was that we released big wheel off the album off the big wheel album uh you know, it shot up the charts, went to number two, did really well. It was a big song. Hold My Beer was the next release, and that did what it did. But then we we made a really risky move and released uh, Warm Safe Place right after Hold My Beer. I don't know if a lot of people know that. But because Hold My Beer and Big Will got so much attention, people were really excited to hear something. They wanted to hear their next single. And when it was a ballad, I think they really liked that because it was such a transition from going from Big Wheel, which is, you know, your standard straight ahead song that kind of was a new sound in the Canadian country music industry over to um, Hold My Beer, which was this huge anthem. And then, wow, he's coming out with a, a ballad. That's a really great song. So, you know, it was it was an easy choice for me to choose the song to record. But when the label decided let's release a ballad for the next single, I thought it was really risky, but it sure worked out. It's a great song, man. Well, and, and let's mention, too, that, uh, I mean, it made it to uh, top six on the charts as well. Mm. So it did super well for you. And people like to see that softer side of you, Aaron. Yeah, you know, I've I've got a really soft heart. I have to admit, I'm a I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a softie. Like you know, I like the, I like the warm, cuddly, fuzzy movies. <laughs> I have to admit. What's, what's your favorite? But it's kind of an obscure one, I guess you could say, but it's called Serendipity. John Cusack. Not that obscure. Okay, okay, good. I I really like that movie. There's something about it that's like you know, I serendipitous, li- right? I- Eventually, you meet back up. I literally never would have picked that for you no me either okay so what, what do you pick please don't say the notebook no uh um... i wouldn't have picked a mushy movie i would have picked like rocky no 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 that's not that's not my favorite movie that's my favorite mushy movie. Mushy, but not oh, my yeah. mushy movie. Yeah. Oh. Well, what's yeah. wrong with the yeah, notebook? Yeah, yeah. Nothing's wrong with the notebook. I'm just going to take, I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. Okay, Amy, <laughs> what's your favorite mushy movie? My favorite mushy movie? Uh, he's just not that into you. 
Okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that movie. It's got the different perspectives. Right. Here's a fun fact about me. I actually, Rocky is my favorite movie. <laughs> Rock, oh, that's awesome. Rocky Four, where he takes on Ivan Drago. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> See, if you ask me what my favorite movie is, it's Slapshot. Really? 1976. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I watched it as a kid. Um, it came out when I was six but i watched it as like a 10 year old kid and i was like this is unbelievable there's so many funny moments in it and it's really <clears throat> fairly close to as true as you can get for hockey back then and uh it, i don't know it's endearing and the characters from that movie are still kind of around and and known so are you a hockey junkie yeah i've yeah i've uh, i've played hockey my entire life like i said i still do i'm uh, on the canuck alumni and I, I play on an nhl alumni team uh back in the east coast and i have my own team here in nanaimo that i play on and i used to, i was that kid that you know had the little radio underneath my pillow listening to canucks games when i was a kid and also slept in my hockey gear uh just so i'd be ready yeah just I so i'd be it. ready for practice in the morning just to go to practice yeah it's hilarious what's your favorite movie scotty we didn't ask you oh i'm a love actually guy Love Actually is yeah. a good time. Love no, Actually. You're a big sap. You're a big yeah. sap for the Hugh Grants, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, Colin Firth is my favorite character in that movie. Um, but I, I love uh, Up, the, the Pixar movie. I, I think the first nine minutes of that is some of the best uh, animated content oh, yeah. maybe ever made. Um, yeah, I'm a big softie, too. The holiday is great. Yeah, I don't know. I get that. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, Aaron, I know that you have collaborated with a lot of different writers in the past, but, I mean, what really gets your engines revving when it comes to uh, sitting down with a writer, a specific writer? Is there anybody in mind who you really love collaborating with? Well, Derek Rutan has always been a favorite of mine. Sure. The guy's got so much energy, and I remember we wrote, a, we wrote Light It Up back in 2000. 2009 i think it was and i went to derek's house in nashville and we just i had like the full day with derek so he made it definitely a full day and the way it started was i got it i got to his place about 9 30 in the morning and he's making his kids breakfast which was great um and uh he's like you want some coffee and we sat around probably for an hour and a half maybe more drinking coffee just you know shooting the whatever and uh getting to getting getting reacquainted because i hadn't seen him in a while and then by about noon we kind of start writing this lighted up song we've got basically some of the chorus already written uh the ideas thrown around but oh hey look it's 12 15 i gotta go uh pick up my kid for lunch and then i gotta do this let's go do this let's just say after doing all the errands that that derek had to do that day we wrote for probably an hour and a half finished the song but i'd say the rest of the time we were just out having lunch or you know picking up the kids had to go to the grocery store got laundry done like literally that was my day but it was pretty cool it was really laid back and it turned out to be a really great song that we wrote but uh, there's there's a lot of other really great writers that i've written with <clears throat> i think one of the funniest stories was uh back in 2015 i went to nashville again writing um at uh olay the old olay mm -hmm. which is anthem now but I was sitting there writing with this guy and I'm like, he's, he's a cool guy. He's got lots of energy writing and, uh, we're there for about hour and a half before he says, uh, Oh yeah, I remember, you know, this, I don't want to steal the part from the song, but this is kind of what I did when I approached, uh, writing cruise was, you know, this kind of thing. And I looked at him like, what cruise, what he's like, I wrote what cruise, like the song cruise. 
I said, you wrote, you're one of the writers of Cruise? And he said, yeah, I, uh, it was actually my idea. I brought it to the table with the guys. I was like, I'm, I've been sitting here this whole time for an hour and a half <laughs> writing with the dude that wrote Cruise. That's crazy. Like, it's one of the biggest all-time country songs ever. And here you are <laughs> writing with, you know, little Canadian guy. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. But I was just in shock after that. You know, I don't think we wrote for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nashville for that, though. You know, it's the guys who write the biggest songs are often the ones who are the most unassuming. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you look at Craig Wiseman. Right. Um, you meet Craig, and you're like, "You're a songwriter. You wouldn't. You wouldn't imagine that." And uh, but there's a guy who's always thinking, like literally always thinking, and always writing a song in his head. And that's why he's got 30 number one singles right. to his name. Crazy talented. It is crazy. I love that town. Love that city so much. Back in uh, oh my goodness, what year was it? Um, was it 2015? You released your greatest hits album. Yep. Okay, the so score. yeah, the, the score. score. What are we talking about the body, oh, body sorry, of work. The body, body of work, work a collection the... of hits. After you release a greatest hits album, uh, and you you've been releasing music, do you mm. think that you've got a, a another one in you coming up anytime soon? It's been five years. <laughs> I'm hoping because when I did that one, I was like, I, we only put on a certain number of songs, but I had to cut a bunch that didn't make the album um so i thought well maybe i'll have another one maybe i'll keep releasing music to radio and at this point i hadn't had derod in him or any of the most recent hits uh so i thought well maybe i'll have maybe i'll be lucky enough to have another one someday and if i do i can put these ones that i cut onto that and uh sure enough that's kind of happening that's the road it's going down now and um you know i never i mean that was my goal and a friend of mine just brought this up the other day when we were talking. He goes, you know, I remember when you said back in 1997 that you just want to be able to have a greatest hits album one day. That's really all you want to do. And now you do. And you, you might even be working on your second. I was like, you're totally right. I forgot I even said that. That's so, so right. Um, and that's really all I wanted out of my career was just to be able to have a song or two. And now... You know, looking at all these songs that I've had over the years and singles that have been big hits and, and uh, been lucky enough to go do the shows that I've done and have people sing along to these songs is just unbelievable. So, yeah, it's a second one is kind of in the uh, in the plans. That's amazing. Yeah. But the score was important because that really did commemorate your 20 years uh, recording and releasing music in the country music world, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and that's what a score is. That was the reason why it was called the score was because a score is twenty years. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, I, did, I actually you know, four scores seven years ago. Them. Love that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, but it also, you know, there's underlying meanings to it. You know, like it is. Here's uh, the score is basically, um, you know, what I've been able to score over the last twenty years of releasing music, and um, yeah. So it was it was kind of a, a really important time for me to be able to put out new music and see how it does and whether or not radio is interested in hearing from me anymore and whether the audience is, is willing to uh, continue embracing my career. And I've been very fortunate. You know, I always say that I was, I've been one of the 1% who has wanted to do this for a career and been able to do it and make money and be able to tour and do all that sort of stuff and have success on radio. And between 2009 and 2015, it was, you know, I'd release music, but nothing was hitting and uh, nothing was going top 10, barely top 20. But um, since, uh, since 2016, um, I'm, I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to be, 
able to say that I'm 1% of the 1% who got to do it again, to have that again, you know, like the back at radio and getting top 10 hits and even finally having a number one. So what goes through your mind, Aaron, when you're in that lull and you're not having as many hits as you were having for, for a while, what goes through your head? Is it, you know, is it doom and gloom? Is it, oh man, it's over? Or like, what, what are you thinking at that point? Yeah, I wouldn't say depression so much as it would be um, just, yeah, it was just constantly worried that your career's over. And what are you going to do now? Like, you you can keep touring and playing shows, but that's going to lessen if you don't have um, relevance on radio and current hits. Yeah. Um, So I I did sit there many, many days and nights and go, you know, what am I going to do next? I mean, the only good thing that I can do other than this is probably pump gas, I guess, because that's (laughs) (laughs) pretty much all I can have the ability to do. And I'm really good at that, by the way. Uh, but other than that, <clears throat> you know, I was planning on going back to school and maybe I'll get my real estate license and try and use my name to sell homes. And, you know, I mean, that those are really good. It's a good career move to make things, doing things like that. Um, but it's not what I wanted to do. And I had people around me when I was saying, well, I'm done. Um, everybody around me, for the most part, uh, friends, family, um, you know, my kids especially going, well, you, you're not done. You're not done at all. you got lots of time left. And here I was in my <clears throat> in my mid-40s going, you know, is my career completely over now? And, you know, is it time for me to move on and step aside and let these younger guys come up and do their thing? Or should I just keep trying and see what happens? And sure enough, I got, uh, I got lucky. I made some right moves, I have to admit, but I also got a little lucky. Well, we're glad you're still around, buddy. Thanks, guys. Okay, so um, before we let you go, we have a couple of games we'd like to play with you, Aaron. Okay. I'm not typically a game player, but in <laughs> on the show, I certainly am. Uh, we're going to play Lyric or Lie. I feel like I've played this with you before, but if not... Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, so you've got to decide if what I'm reading to you is... You and I show. have played games, though. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it at that, shall we? (laughs) Good idea, my friends. Good idea. Okay, so you've got to decide if what I'm reading to you is an actual song lyric or if it's a lie. Okay. Okay, ready? Yep. Okay. Head down, eyes up, look at what's ahead. Uh, Lyrics. It's a lie. Oh, that's an Amy original, right that's there. That's an like Amy original. I at the end of oh, this, you're, at the end of this, you're gonna want to, uh, you're gonna want to write with me. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? Sometimes yep. you worry too much. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, that's a song. That's the rec laws. I do too. Yes. All right, here we go. Yep. Five days, four walls, three words, two hearts. Oh, that's for sure a song. Prairie Oyster. Five days, four walls. <laughs> yes. There you go. Scotty made me put that one in there. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Precious love. I love that song. This house yeah. with you, with me, the rest is history. This house with you, with me, the rest is history. Oh, it 
sounds familiar. I want to say song, but I could be wrong. It's a lie. <laughs> we're, oh, okay. We're is that so, another Amy line? Uh, yeah, yeah, it sure is. We're so writing together. I'm coming out to BC. Yeah, that actually, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great line there. <laughs> okay, so I couldn't write a whole song, but I mean, a like one line I can probably manage. But Amy's more of a hey. word for a third gal. I'm a word for a third okay. gal for show. <laughs> okay, so we've got one more game for you. It's called Five Questions. Don't think too too much into it and uh, we will just ask you a question you answer it as quickly as you can sure what's the song you wish you wrote Uh, friends in low places (laughs) (laughs) good call did well for Garth all right coolest moment in your career Uh, I was playing at uh, Rock the Commons in Halifax in 2008 I pulled off the stage early because Keith Urban had to set up his stage uh, on my fifth song into a an eleven song set, they said you're done. Thirty five thousand people out in the crowd. I walked off stage, smashed my guitar because it was felt so good, <laughs> and then sat in the back. The promoter came to the back and said, "You got to get out there because there's going to be a riot." And I was, looked at him like, "What are you talking about?" Walk around the corner where I could hear the crowd. Thirty five thousand people all chanting, "Hold my beer!" Oh come Hold on, my beer! Wow. Went out there and did a four. It's a four minute song, and I took twenty five minutes to finish the song. It was wow. great. Wow, that's, that's dynamite. <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, yeah, what's your stage fav- manager was fired. <laughs> He was. <laughs> What's your favorite road food, Aaron? My favorite road food? Uh, you know, I just I, I eat lots of uh, fruits and vegetables now. Honestly, as boring as that is an answer, um, I just load up on uh, between bananas and and avocados. Those are my thing. It's my nice. go-to. Makes me feel makes me feel good. Lots of energy. I love a good avocado. Something you haven't accomplished that you want to. Um, uh, something that I would have liked to accomplish was to be able to have a American deal and maybe get a, a single go top 10 in the States. Um, but honestly, when it comes to just in general life is, uh, always being a, a better dad to my kids. And then eventually when they have kids, be a really good grandparent. That's, that's my main goal in life and be able to make sure that they're set up when, uh, when it's time for me to take off. You're going to be the hottest grandpa ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh, What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, People who can't spell the word definitely. Oh, Oh. the A-T-E drives me crazy. Or, yeah, defiantly or definitely or, yeah, just not even close. Things like that. That really is a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) Okay, Aaron, we also, uh, on the show, we want you to turn us on to something that you've been reading, something that you have watched on TV, something that you have listened to, maybe a band, whatever. We want you to turn us on. What should we be paying attention to? All right. When it comes to music, I just got uh, uh, turned on to a guy named Marcus King, who's really Chris Stapleton-like, but he's country mixed with R&B, Americana, all really kinds of cool things. So Marcus King, first of all. Secondly and thirdly are my kids. My kids have music on iTunes and Spotify and Apple Music and Google and all that. Um, My oldest son and his girlfriend, uh, Danielle, 
Marie and Jordan is my son. The two of them have a, uh, a duo called Cross Parallel. So if you check them out, they're really awesome. They're country. My two younger sons, Braden and Mason, are a duo called Atlantis One. So it's all one word with the word one at the end of it. So Atlantis One. And they're kind of like R&B, hip-hop uh they rap a bit they sing a bit they write all their own stuff they record all their own stuff at home so atlantis one is, is somebody to check out on uh Insta- or, yeah instagram as well but all the platforms <clears throat> for uh uh d- downloading streaming all that but um books i was uh i i've just started reading this is a call from dave grohl uh obviously the incredible musician originally from nirvana and Foo Fighters, etc. Uh, really great book, really interesting, and lots of crazy stories. Um, I was watching uh, uh, on Netflix, or no, on Prime, uh, is uh, Hunters. Have you heard about this yet? No. Okay. It's insane. Uh, the opening scene of it is mind-blowing. I was like, what am I watching right now? This is incredible. It's so good. But uh, I, I don't want to give away too much of the premise, but it's it's one of the most interesting stories of uh, of of um, Jewish people hunting Nazis. <laughs> That's wow. exactly Gosh. what it is. Al Pacino stars in it, and there's a bunch of new uh, new actors that are in it that are really really great. So I highly highly recommend that. Cool. Other than that, um, what I think you should be turned on to is come and visit me out here in uh, the West Coast in Nanaimo, Vancouver Island. And uh, if, if you are, then I'll take you around and show you the sites. What's going on for you uh, in 2020? Well, so far the year's been pretty crazy. Like I said, with just a lot of uh, a lot of charity events, and uh, that's really true to my heart. And I just love being a part of all those. So that's kept me busy. Um, but uh, besides that, I uh, went into the studio, recorded the vocal for the next single, which should be out probably end of April. I'm guessing um, it's called uh, a song called never seen me like this. And I guess the premise is, is uh, you know what? I, I've never seen me like this before. Um, the, this girl's just driving me that crazy. And, and I'm so in love with her that she, I've never seen me do things that I'm doing <laughs> like I am with her. So yeah, that's, uh, that's coming out end of April. Really cool tune. Actually, the funny story with that is that uh, one of the writers was a co-writer on The Shot. Another one of the co-writers is uh, a co-writer on Better When I Do. And uh, the other two gentlemen that wrote the song are from the Brothers Osborne. So it's a really great tune. Dang. Those Mm -hmm. are some heavy hitters there, bro. Yeah, you know, I'm getting some good songs to choose from, and and it's all leading me into going back and writing again. I kind of took some time off from writing just to sort of clear my head, which I think is necessary for Mm -hmm. some people, and it was definitely for me. And I'm going to get back down and start doing some writing and actually try uh, writing on my own for the first time in a long time. Aaron, you are one of my favorite people in country music. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Uh, you're welcome, Amy. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Scotty. Good My pleasure, buddy. Thanks for thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon. And you see, bet. Anytime. See you next time you're in Ontario. Okay, guys. Are you going to be at the CMAOs? By the way, I am. Yeah, you they're, are. Uh, they're bringing me in this year. <laughs> I promise not to berate you this year. <laughs> <laughs> berate away. <laughs> you got it. You you know you, you know, know there's like only it. well there's only love for you. You know this. Thanks. Right back at you. <laughs> Thank you awesome. so much. Awesome. Yeah, we'll Aaron. see you guys there. Talk to you guys later. Ciao. Okay, bye.
What a gem, Aaron Burchett. Oh, he's such a good dude, and he rolls with the punches. Love it, love it, <laughs> love it. You can track him down on socials. He's at Aaron Burchett. We are at The Show on the Go, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can track us down. Follow us. Like us. Subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. She's Amy House. He's Scotty Kipper. Welcome to the show.